Daniel and I'm Amanda and you're listening to scenes from a marriage a film and entertainment podcast in which we as a married couple watch and discuss the oeuvre of one Mr. Wes Anderson Amanda I'm excited about this episode hope you are too I am it's been a long time coming as far as theme episodes go this is one of the first that we ever discussed doing Mm-hmm. Originally, it was going to be a five-episode series where we did two or three movies per episode, but... Now we have a child. Right. <laughs> it got to the point where it's pretty much impossible to record an episode, let alone like a whole string of them. So, mm-hmm. And then it was going to be, oh, it's going to be a top five Anderson ranking because we hadn't seen all the movies between us. But now that we're both caught up, we're going to do the whole thing. Uh, we're going to rank all 11 Wes Anderson films from worst to best. Whole kit and caboodle. How are you feeling about this? Um, Pretty good. It was pretty difficult to um, narrow it down and put it, put it in a list. And... Yeah, it's hard, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think it was harder for me after the fact that we just rewatched three oh, yeah, movies. Oh, yeah, three well, for, well, I mean, you were seeing them for the first time. I was seeing mm-hmm. them again after some years and it it did shake things up a little bit and it did make things more difficult for me yeah in terms of my list building and also yeah i haven't seen a lot of them in many years so i was like did i enjoy this if i watched it again would i like it more i don't know but i guess we'll we won't know that's a question you can't know right until you yeah because mm-hmm. that would just take too much time and then we would never record this The occasion for this episode is the release of Asteroid City, Mm -hmm. which came out back in June. So I want to spend some time talking about that film in particular before we go into looking back over his entire filmography. Now, listeners, I want you to prepare yourselves for us to say the name Wes Anderson a lot. And the reason is because he is just so unique in the world of cinema in terms of the place that he occupies as an auteur or as a writer-director who puts a personal stamp on everything that he does. His name carries a host of associations to the point that when someone says it, you immediately visualize not just a particular movie or a scene or a person even, but you probably picture a whole style. Like His name has become synonymous with a visual style and with the consistent you might even say rigid adherence to a set of aesthetic choices and motifs that have been cultivated and refined across the 11 feature films he's released. The result is something so instantly recognizable, dare I say iconic, that I don't think any other living artist, let alone any other filmmaker, can claim to have the market cornered on a unifying set of conventions the way Wes Anderson does. I mean, people are even making reels on him. Have you seen that? I have seen that. You're talking yeah. about the AI ones? Uh, maybe. Or they're just like, let's just make this Wes Anderson, like like a film like this. 
Oh, like, oh, like take something and, and make it Wes Anderson. Like their life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, people just know. Yeah. Which means what to them? Like if you, if you've seen some of them, what is it, what is it like when they make it Wes Anderson? I mean, it's very like, let me stand in this one place and be kind of awkward. Um, <laughs> and like, you know, thoughtful and just kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. It's just like slowed down. Like the pace is slowed down. And usually it's what center framed or uh-huh. there's kind of, we have all these, but again, this is what I'm talking about. There's this set of ideas of visual ideas and I guess sound ideas and stuff too, that kind of defines what a Wes Anderson movie is mm-hmm. in a way that I think most other directors don't have that kind of rigid. Yeah. It can be kind of like whimsical and like, mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it. Like, yeah, it's just, just unique. I just, I don't know. He's it's been called fun. twee before. Have you heard that? The no. word twee. He's been called hipster. He's been called pretentious. Well, He's yeah. been called narcissistic. Mm-hmm. His movies have been compared to dollhouses or dioramas. Yeah, I can see that. He's been accused of having no emotion in his films. I don't think that's entirely true. I mean, for some of them, but like there are emotional things in his films. Certainly. I think there are. Yeah. Some people will say it's boring because they're all alike. There was, uh, and so you said the thing about Make It Wes Anderson, but there's also been a, t- a trend of um, AI-generated Wes Anderson or images. For example, there has been there was one set I saw that was Harry Potter, but Make It Wes Anderson. Oh. And it was like all of the, it was like, you know, you know Dumbledore and stuff, but it's- I it saw that like frame. and that? I liked it yeah. because I like Wes Anderson. So maybe if somebody doesn't like Wes Anderson, they wouldn't like it. So all of these things seek to emulate his style by using the characteristic tricks such as center framing or certain types of music or vintage props. Mm-hmm. He's also been hailed by others as a visionary, a master of form, an intellectual writer, um, and he's been the focus of books by film critics like Matt Zolder Seitz from RogerEbert.com and approximately 6,000 video essays on YouTube. And then, as I mentioned earlier, he's probably the single most recognizable unique voice in the art of motion pictures at this moment in time. Like, I'm trying to think of any other director where if you say their name, you immediately come up with all these ideas of what their movies look like. Like, there's probably nobody else I can think of. Maybe Tarantino a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if someone says Tarantino, you have an idea of what that means of like an ultra-violent, like super hip, verbose kind of movie. But it's not as specific. Yeah, it's not exactly Wes Anderson-like. Yeah. I, and most, and there's other people maybe that in the art world, like Terrence Malick is something where his name has kind of become synonymous with a certain type of art, arty, like tone poem kind of thing. You've got your Finchers, you've got your Nolans, Scorsese, these people that have a distinct style, but it's not the same kind of a saturation, I don't think. And most of these people, you could watch some of the movie before you started thinking, oh, you know, I wonder if this is a David Fincher or I wonder if this is David Lynch. I think with Wes Anderson, almost any single frame of any movie that he's done, taken at random, if you were just to look at it, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's Wes Anderson. Yeah, I, I could see that. I'd have to agree. So one of the reasons we wanted to do this episode is because these are movies that, by and large, we both like. Would you say that's fair? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was your introduction to Wes Anderson? Um, the first movie I saw was Moonrise Kingdom, except I don't remember exactly when it was because my memory is not that great. But it had to be like after college sometime because I think it came out, what, in 2012? That's right. Um, And 
yeah, so I saw Moonrise Kingdom and I was like, this is different. Um, I think I remember liking it, but more so I was like, kind of like, what is this about? Mm -hmm. This is like the most different, you know, film I've ever seen, really. Yeah, so that's that was the first one so I've this, seen. So that was the first one, and that was uh, 2012 or maybe a little after. Yeah, maybe after that. And so you would have just seen that probably in isolation without having an idea who made it or who... Actually, yeah, yeah. So when did you first start to realize who the artist was and that he had done other movies that had a similar style to that? You know, maybe it was... Maybe it was uh, The Fantastic Mr. Fox, I think. What year is that? 20... That was 09, I think. Oh, so that came out... That was before Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Wow, but I didn't realize that. I must have seen... I think I saw that. I think that might have been my second one that I've seen. And well, That's the one that I associate with you. I didn't know if that was maybe your first one, but I guess it wasn't. No, it wasn't, yeah. But did we watch that one for the first time together? I think we did. When you say for the first time, you mean... I, did I watch it with you for the first time? Well, you watched it with me. It wasn't my first time seeing it. Well, it was my first time seeing it. Oh, it was? Yeah. Really? I think so. Oh, that's so weird. I thought I, I could have sworn that you had already seen it before that. I don't think so. Huh. I mean, I don't know. I can't remember. I really don't remember these things. I wish I did. No, I, just, I don't. Well, because I have the, association, I have the association of you with the foxes, obviously. Because I so, love foxes. Because you love foxes, right. I mean, my love for foxes started before that. No, I well, I know that, but I just I for some I mean, reason I just assumed. it used to it was like love for cats, but it kind of morphed into like love for foxes. Maybe the mm -hmm. pointy ears and the whiskers. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe because I was like I love fall, so my personality became fall and foxes in Halloween. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think that was yeah, I think that was my second maybe that I've seen. It would have to be right. Yeah. Anyway. So but then you were like, oh, this is the guy that made Moonrise Kingdom or did you? Well, it was when I started, I mean, did we watch that when like we I were dating? Or I, I remember we were... watching it at your, at your parents' house. But yeah. I don't or that might've been the second time though. I don't know. But we might've, we've watched it together twice, I think. Okay. Least. But anyway. It must've been, must been early on in their relationship. I didn't know much about Wes Anderson until I started dating you, I think. Um, so you tracks. you introduced me to the world of Wes Anderson, and I was like, wow, I didn't realize he had all of these other great films. So yeah, maybe it was just maybe it was more like, oh, we like like you enjoyed Mr. Fox or whatever, and I was like, oh, he also also did this and that, and let's go watch these too. Yeah, I mean, and then there was um, Isle of Dogs. Well, that was that was, and we went and saw that together and with, yeah. with some for our friends. Hmm. Yeah. So, okay, so, the, uh, and, and then for me, I'll just say, I, when I was early in my cinephilic journey, um, I was probably a, a young adult just out of college, and I was watching a bunch of movies that were critically acclaimed or that were popular for some reason, and I didn't really know why. And one of those was Rushmore, and I remember watching Rushmore back in the day, and I had absolutely no idea why it was supposed to be great. Mm -hmm. Like, it didn't. It just didn't really hit with me at the time. And similarly, I remember watching Tenenbaums around that time as well. And those were like, the, those were the first two, those ones I started with, which it feels right. Like it feels like the ones you're supposed to start with, but it just, it, it took me a while to get on the train. How old were you when you watched those though? 
I, I wouldn't say maybe 22, 23. Okay. So like after college? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've taken a journey and it's been, this has actually been prepped for this episode has been part of that journey, which has been fun. So thanks for doing this with me. Yeah, no. Um, so you, so the first one you saw was Rushmore. I think that's right. Cause let's see. So his first movie was Bottle Rocket. So uh-huh. when did you watch that one? Not until we watched it together. Not that long ago. Wait, what? That was the first time you've seen it? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I was going back and picking up uh, one that I had missed. Huh? You look like a little banana. A little banana. <laughs> and we, we will talk about the we will talk about the whole uh, breadth of the filmography when we get into the rankings. But first, mm-hmm. Asteroid City. What's happening now? I don't know. I don't like the way that guy looked at us. The alien. How did he how did he look? Like we're doomed. Maybe we are. I've just informed the president. How long can they keep us in Asteroid City legally? The world will never be the same. That's an alien doing jumping jacks. That's an alien in a top hat. What's out there? The meaning of life. Maybe there is one. Are you married? I'm a widower. But don't tell my kids. You're saying her mother died three weeks ago? Let's say she's in heaven. Which doesn't exist for me, of course, but you're Episcopalian. In my loneliness, I learned to give complete and unquestioning faith to the people I love. I don't know if that includes you, but it included my daughter and your four children. Sometimes I think I feel more at home outside the Earth's atmosphere. Oh, wow. Me too. They're strange, aren't they? They're children. Compared to normal people. Yes, that's correct. It's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm, I want to jump right into this. Uh, like as I said, just just released, and it's the um, the latest uh, the latest one, and 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 it, it, the only way to really say it is it's it's the latest Wes Anderson, and everybody knows what that means now. So gosh, we've seen so many of them after watching this. I'm not gonna remember. It, it, it's a little it's a little tricky, but so I actually I do want to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. I do want to ask you to to kind of to tee this up for us. What is what is Asteroid City about? Can you explain the plot? Oh, gosh, you're gonna make me explain all the plots, and his movies are crazy. No, no, no I'm not gonna make you do all the plots. Okay, just this one. Just this one. Okay. Um, we don't have time to do all the plots of all eleven no, movies. No, we do we're not. Just, we're just gonna do the one. We do not. Um, so Asteroid City is about actually how many different storylines are there? There's like two ish. Three-ish? I don't know. Um, anyway, the main thing is about this dad and some children, and they go to this camp. I don't even know where Asteroid City is. Where is it? I I don't know if it's if they it's give a state. Real. It's the western U.S. It's in the desert somewhere. It's like Arizona, Utah, something like that. Okay, yeah. Um, so they go there for like a a space thing or like a, I don't know, a smart kid camp and a few of these smart kids come together. And then also the dad, Oh, I shouldn't give spoilers. There's a death anyway. Um, so it's just like, I think there's a, if you're talking about the death that has already happened when the movie starts, I don't really think that's too much of a spoiler. That's like the first five minutes of the movie. Okay. Oh wait, but I also forgot this is like a screenplay. I think something like that. Anyway, so it's yeah. See, this is confusing. Anyway, it's confusing. There are there are multiple levels layers. of narrative going on yeah. at once. So I guess the play or whatever is about them going to a camp, and then there's an alien, and he steals a rock or a meteor or whatever, 
And then, but there's also a movie star. And then she bonds with the guy. And then the alien gives the meteor back and stuff. And then they learn some things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of just space and stuff. Uh, yeah, ah! l- 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 no, thank you for doing that. That's good. I actually, uh, part of the reason I wanted you to do this is because I kind of didn't really remember the plot. <laughs> I can't remember it. Let's, let's take a deep breath and list just some of the people that are in this movie because Wes has got to the point where his cast, mm. uh, his list of famous mm. people are incredibly deep. This movie stars. Scarlett Jason- Johansson. Yes. Maybe I should try to guess all the people and then you can Wait, fill in to, the blanks. to guess them? Yeah, because I, I don't remember all their names. All right, go ahead. Okay, Scarlett Johansson, Jason Schwartz. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the lady that was like an elf in that one, maybe she's got really blonde hair and she looks like a ghost. Are you talking about... Hilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton, yes. Tilda Swinton. 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 Um, <laughs> see, isn't this fun? Um, Bill Murray... He's not in this one? I- incorrect. Who's the dad? Who's the old dad? Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Oops, close. Um, I mean, you'd be forgiven because Bill Murray is in all of the other Wes Anderson movies. Jeff Goldblum. He's the only one he's not in. Yes, correct. Um, Adrian Brody. Yep. Oh, he is? <laughs> yeah, he was. That's right. I should just think of all the people that he normally puts in films. Um, Owen Wilson. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. He's not in. I don't, I don't think, he's think. In this one. I was just saying it. Um, I mean, there brother. are again, there are a ton of people in this. Luke suit. Wilson, just kidding. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. A little banana. I'm just kidding. <laughs> do you, okay, do you, you can keep, actually. Do you want to keep doing this? No, you can go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Fill in the blank. Okay. Uh, uh, in addition to those we've already said, Jeffrey Wright, uh, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, mm-hmm. Maya Hawk. Maya Hawk, yes. Steve Carell. Oh yeah. Matt Dillon. Mm-hmm. There are others, but those are some of the the main ones. Um, so some of our our, our main cap, uh, cast here is so Jason Schwartzman stars as Augie Steenbeck, a uh, uh, the, the father of four children, a uh, a boy and three daughters, and He's a photographer as a photographer as the play opens. And again, this is oh, so as Steenbeck, he's a character mm-hmm. in a play, but of course he's also the actor in the other level of narrative who's help who's starring in that play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a third level where there's actually, I think some kind of a TV show or like retrospective that is talking about the creation of the play. So this is where oh, the Brian yeah. Cranston character comes in. So like in the beginning of the movie, you've got that going on. And then you've also got the flashbacks to the playwright, uh, Edward played by Edward Norton. Yeah. Um, and his relationship to Schwartzman and also to the director played by Adrian Brody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you've got, uh, but in, in the, what seems like the main part of this movie is the performance of the play in mm-hmm. Asteroid City, the fictional town of Asteroid City, where Schwartzman plays uh, Steenbeck and his, Jake Ryan plays his son Woodrow, who is one of the ones who's attending this science fair or whatever it is. Star, junior stargazers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You've also got Scarlett Johansson as Midge Campbell, who is, excuse me, a famous actress, and her daughter, Dinah, played by Grace Edwards, who becomes kind of interested in Woodrow. 
there's a bunch of other cast members. That's kind of the main thing. Steve Carell is the owner of the hotel where everybody's staying. Maya Hawk is a school teacher who's trying to, uh, well, once things get kind of crazy, once there's a, there's also a lockdown, I forgot to, forgot to say, oh, yeah, that well. after the incident with the alien, everyone becomes quarantined in Asteroid City and then becomes kind of a COVID movie in that way. Yeah. For a second. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So without trying to go too deep into this, because again, I've, I can't remember all the ins and outs of the plot. Uh, what did you think of the movie? And not necessarily, not necessarily what did you think of it in relationship to the other Wes Anderson movies? Because we're going to talk that, about, uh, talk about that in a second, mm-hmm. but like just in general. I mean, I'll just say I liked it because, well, in general, I like all of Wes Anderson movies, but like, with, like did I like it? more than others not as much i mean i know you, well you said not to say this but i'll just say oops well it, I, I can't control what you say okay <laughs> this is true um i i feel like i mean i feel like his movies are thinkers obviously but um i felt like there was a lot of just like space in it like dead space and like it wasn't as mm, wasn't as full as other ones, I guess you could say, like uh, the French Dispatch. I don't That's know. That's interesting. Well, I don't know. Maybe I just, or maybe in like the middle of the film, it just felt like it was like, like in the beginning, it was like, let's go, go, go. And then in the middle, it was, and maybe it was because of the setting. Maybe it wasn't mm-hmm. super interesting because like some of his other movies have more interesting settings, but this one was just like in the desert and I was just like, whatever. Speaking of the setting, I was going to ask this later, but I'll, I'll do it now. So there's, it, so Asteroid City uh, is, it looks like a typical Wes Anderson film in the sense that it uses all of his usual ticks, right? Mm-hmm. It uses the center framing and the the whip pans and the the miniatures and the uh, there's some stop motion, I think, in it. So all that stuff that you normally associate with him is there, right? But did, did, I think it looks a little bit different than anything else in his filmography, one of the notable things is the use of the blue and orange color, color palette that's very stark. That's kind of the way, especially when you're in Asteroid City. Uh, what do you think about the look of the movie? Oh, I can't remember. Um, I don't, The reason, because you were saying about the setting and it being set in the desert, and it's true that in those desert scenes, especially in the daytime scenes, it's, just, it's this very stark light that illuminates everything equally without any shadows. I, just, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I like the Roadrunner. The Roadrunner was great. He was really cute at the end, especially. Um, I mean, there are some funny parts in it, too. But, I mean, the look of it... I mean, I like the look of it. It was just... I think the content... There wasn't as much content that I was interested in, I guess. Like, maybe I wanted more with the alien or something. I certainly wanted more Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, I was I was kind of disappointed. A of a, not to spoil anything, but it's a little bit of a bait and switch that Jeff is not in this very much. If you're we we, we might be the only ones that go to movies just for Jeff Goldblum, but if you're <laughs> yeah. if you're going to this for him, know that he's not in it a lot. I know. I I think I really was disappointed in that cuz I was like, "Oh, how like how is he going to be? I know that like his role is the alien or whatever." But like how, like I didn't know exactly how it would be. And so I was disappointed. Were you disappointed? A little bit. 
Mm. I hate to say it. Only, only in, I mean, I like the movie, but I... I was going to say, what did you think about the movie? Yeah, I, I liked it a lot, actually, but I agree with you. I agree with your take that it is a thinker. And it, it bothers me a little bit, like, if I was... I almost wish that I had a chance to watch it again before podcasting on it. Yeah, I mean, I feel that too. I wish that we, it would take a very long time, but I wish that we could watch every movie again before. That would be a time commitment. Well, I I was happy that I got to rewatch several of them because now I'm going, I'm Mm going to go through this list. I've seen the majority of them at least twice, which is nice. But this one, I think it needs a second viewing because there, it, because for me, well, the reason I'm going to say is why I was a little surprised at you saying that you thought it was, there was a lot of space in it because I found it very densely packed. Uh, And I thought that was, that was part of the challenge for me in really appreciating everything that was going on because I think there's, there's, there's so many characters. Well, yeah, there are a lot of characters. There's so many like we already talked about layers of fiction in the story mm-hmm. there, the way that it's written is with is towards certain intellectual bents. For example, the game that the kids play where they go around and say different people's names and they have oh, to yeah. remember all the names mm-hmm. and the names are people that you wouldn't, re- you wouldn't recognize. Right. Or at least I didn't recognize from what I can tell. They're probably famous physicists or, you know, na- astronauts or though that sort of people that are in that, that field. Mm-hmm. But that's the kind of thing where it's just written to include all of this stuff that I feel like is very, um, uh, it, it requires brain power to process, but it all happens very quickly. Yeah. And there's so many also themes, which is one of the other things I wanted to talk about, which is what are the themes of the movie? Uh, and I think there's quite a bit going on there. One of the things that is tricky to parse on an initial watch is why are all of the parts of this movie in the movie and what do they have to do with each other? Like what is the purpose of setting up this meta narrative? And for example, you know, what does, what does Jason Schwartzman's inability to understand his character that he's supposed to be playing have to do with like, um, you know, his son deciding that he doesn't believe in God anymore or, you know, those sorts of things like, or what is their relation? What is the relationship with, um, you know, uh, his relationship to Midge uh, mm-hmm. have to do, you know, with like, I don't know, Steve Carell selling land in the, you know, selling little parcels of land to people, and I don't know. There's just there's just so many different ideas that are packed into it right. that it's kind of hard to see. Well, you know, is it is it intentionally patchwork, and the connections are more like happenstance or is it all you know kind of very deliberate right and i don't know and i haven't had time to process all of that so it's right. hard to that's why which is why all, all of which is to say a second watch would be great at some yeah. point to maybe answer some of those questions more definitively that'd be good did you find an emotional connection to the film anywhere was there a character or a story thread that appealed to you not really and maybe that's why i didn't connect with it as much um, as other ones. So, cause it's like, uh, he lost his wife. They were the young kids. And then he had some type of relationship with Midge sort of, mm-hmm. but like, it wasn't super clear. And they were just very like, kind of like buttoned up. Like they, they're not really an attachment to each other. Um, and so I just, I didn't, I didn't really connect with any of the characters. Did you? I thought there was something moving about the fact that this character, Augie, is processing 
the grief of losing his wife so recently. Mm. And that, you know, so I think that casts his interest in Midge as kind of either a distraction or a parallel or something to, you know, uh, his 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 relationship with his wife. Yeah, I think she even says at one point, "This is not the start of something." And he was like, "Well, isn't it?" And she's like, "Well, maybe it is." They can't decide mm-hmm. whether it's something or whether it's nothing. Um, the fact that he has to then make up with his father in law in a sense because that's now the the remnant of that relationship that were that the connection to that part of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- I thought the. I thought the the relationship between his son, between Woodrow and the girl, and then also somewhat to that older scientist played by Tilda Swinton, that was kind of an interesting dynamic between the three of them. Yeah, but I just didn't, I feel like the dad, Augie, was that his name? Played by Schwartzman. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, I don't know, I just didn't really see him as much of a father to the kids. And maybe that kind of bothered me because it was just like he had three girls, but he didn't really like do anything to care for them. They were kind of just like three little adults who did their own thing, Mm -hmm. which, you know, they were funny and cute, but it's like, I just didn't, there's, yeah, there's like no emotion in it. And so, but I feel like there's no emotion in some of his other movies, but I can like see that there's emotion there. If that makes sense, like with the, I don't know, the relationships in other movies. Yeah. I think the thing, about and this is what people have trouble with i think or some people anyway have trouble with with anderson is that the emotion is always there but it's always buried a mm. little bit mm-hmm. at least that's my take on it like there's there's personal feeling there but it's it's buried beneath decorum or awkwardness mm-hmm. or but that's on purpose I think it's definitely on purpose. Do you think it's because that's how he is as a person? I wonder why he does that. Because it's like everything is the same like that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a deliberate choice. Like, I mean, you've got a whole cast of characters that are acting in that same way. So it's, they're being told to do that. Right. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know entirely why. I think it may be different depending on the film. But I think some sometimes, and maybe there'll be examples that we can talk about when we get into the list, they're... Sometimes it's either more or less kind of obvious. And I think there are certain performers who have brought it to the fore maybe more. But in a movie like Asteroid City, and I think also with The French Dispatch, we're working in a style that is very, it's even more controlled than than usual. Uh, and so uh, I think the motion is not brought about by the performance as much as by the scenario. But that's just me kind of talking. I don't know if I've thought through that. Did you, did you, what do you think are, did you notice any of the, any of the themes particularly? Was there, what did you, if you, somebody had to say, what, what is this movie about? What is it trying to say? What, what would you go to, if anything? Again, I know it's difficult to parse it on this one, but uh, what was your impression when you, at the end? Maybe like, um, like some, some form of acceptance of like, just the way that, way that things are in people's lives because like I don't know there's like him dealing with the death of his wife and I can't remember the son I don't remember what the son was doing with the scientists like did they figure out something I don't remember he they all well a lot of the kids had 
created something or done some kind of project mm -hmm. and they were one of them was going to win like a grant for it but it was like it's almost just like like okay that encounter with the alien it just like brought everybody together um so just like a form of unity maybe i don't know in like like they couldn't talk to the rest of the world or something like that and it's like maybe all these awkward kids didn't have any relationships anywhere else, but they were just like in a place where there are other people like them. Mm -hmm. They had like different strengths that weren't theirs, but they were all really smart. And so, I don't know, just like a, a sense of togetherness in that, but I don't really know what theme he was going for because it just feels really like abstract sometimes. It does, it does. I think togetherness is an interesting one. Like we're all in this together kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, the, and that the alien's appearance becomes a catalyst that changes maybe how we think about life on earth. Um, the thing that I came out of it with was basically this being a way for an artist to reckon with his current place in the world and what his art means to him, and, which sounds a bit hermetic, but I'll, the reason why is basically the moment near the end of the film, which I guess this is a bit of a spoiler. So, uh, oh, yeah. I'm going to talk about a moment near the end of Asteroid City. We have kind of spoiled a lot of the stuff, but yeah. I, honestly, I don't really think this is a film that can be spoiled to be perfectly honest with you, mm -hmm. like you can say, oh, well, you know, maybe you weren't expecting so-and-so to show up for a minute, but like... Yeah, it's just like it's linear a, events. I don't know. It just doesn't feel like it's a story that can be spoiled. Yeah. So I, I don't feel too bad about saying this, so I'm, I'm going to say it. So the um, there's a moment at the end of the film where uh, the Jason Schwartzman's character goes off the set, and this is one of the times when we're, we're reminded that the main drama that we're watching is in fact not a drama but, or not real but is a play mm -hmm. and he goes behind the set and he walks through you know some things are some different places back there and he and he goes to the director played by adrian brody and he he's like i don't know if i'm doing this right i don't know if the character is right am i am i playing him right and uh and he says yeah you're you know you're doing great um and uh, there's some, I can't remember how the exchange goes exactly, but basically what he ends up saying is, uh, oh, oh no, he doesn't understand the play that he's really doing. That's, that's the thing, which makes more sense. I think for us as an audience mm -hmm. to say, well, you know, I don't really know what this is all about. The people, the people who are doing it in universe don't really understand what it's all about. And, uh, he tells him, just keep telling the story. And so for me, this is, this is Wes Anderson reckoning with, you know, his, he's made 10 plus movies now. Things are in a different place than they were. The world is in a different place. Right, right. <laughs> the world is in a different place than it was. And again, him, he's reckoning clearly with, with, you know, COVID and lockdowns and all this stuff in mm -hmm. the movie. Um, and, you know, maybe thinking is, is, is what I'm doing important? Like, does it, you know, does it matter? Uh, do you and think maybe, it's all about him? Like, maybe he's not entirely sure, but he tells himself, just keep telling the story. And that's the way to move forward. Um, now, that's one interpretation. And I'm sure it's not the only or even the best interpretation, but... Is this where people say he's a narcissist? Because it's about him. Okay, 
But here's the thing. I don't. I didn't think he. I don't know. I, maybe you could argue that you could you call it navel gazing if you wanted to. Okay. I think at some point almost every artist makes art about art, mm-hmm. and the reason is pretty obvious because people write or make films or make music about things that are important to them and the people who are making those things well the making of those things is important to them right so there's kind of a circular sort of thing like if you ever think about how many protagonists in movies or novels are writers like write what you know it's like people these are writers writing about writers right you know what i mean like that whole that whole kind of recursive thing but it's one person i don't know reckoning with i think their their place in the world that Mm -hmm. was what i took from it there are, there, there are many other things going on, including like maybe a portrait of the United States in the year, in the 1950s and what the mid-century ideas of life were and how those things maybe got changed by, um, you know, whether it was, uh, whether it was nuclear power or, you know, whatever else it might've been. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to say about this movie before we rank it? No, not really. All right, then let's rank it. Let's rate, uh... Asteroid City out of five Alien meteor right meteors. Is that what it was? Is that was it a meteor? A meteor right. Meteor right. Or should we do something else? Silly. Um, my notes say question marks. Uh, I figured you'd come up with with something. Meteor Roadrunners. I do like the little Roadrunner. Okay, the little Roadrunner then. Kind of the runaway star of the movie. <laughs> pun intended. At the end or no pun intended. Okay. Yeah, okay, okay. So let's rate Asteroid City. Uh, what would you give it out of five Roadrunners? Honestly, I think I would give it two and a half Roadrunners. Two and a half Roadrunners. Sorry to the half of a Roadrunner. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Hopefully, it's, uh, it's this Roadrunner is not severed in two. He is, but is he severed vertically or horizontally? Like, is it his head and his butt, or is it... Like half of his head. If a roadrunner wore pants, would he wear them like this? <laughs> yeah, or like exactly. This? That's what I was wondering. <laughs> what would you, how many roadrunners would uh, you give? I would give it four. Wow. Okay. And I would consider going higher um, on a rewatch. I thought this was. This makes sense for a us. Pretty, pretty accomplished statement. Uh, I thought all the parts were working together uh, incredibly well. It was, it was thrilling just to watch the form being, uh, being displayed. Uh, I got, especially in the beginning, I got really happy just watching like the train and like the Roadrunner and the, the whip pans and this, all this stuff. I was just like, this is, this is an experience that's making me happy. Aww. So, uh, even though I didn't find it maybe as emotionally connecting as some of the other ones, mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought, yeah, I, I thought it was really well done. Well, so, that makes sense that you would rate it a four and I would rate it a two and a half since you were saying there's no emotional connections. Cause that's usually what I, what I look for in a movie. Which actually is huh. really challenging, I think, when it comes to Wes. And we'll talk about this as we go through. But I realized at the end that the way that, like, I, uh, this may be a little bit too strong. I kind of loved it. and But I realized that I loved it in a very intellectual way and not in oh, a very okay. emotional way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we have to ask ourselves, is that inferior or is that just as good? I what? think it's just as good. Oh, I, think, yeah. I think it's just as good to be able to love a movie intellectually as emotionally. Well, yeah, sure. Especially if that's what you value. So, but I have to, I kind of have to, I kind of have to fight myself with that because the, my knee jerk is to be like, well, I didn't feel 
like a like a, a, a overwhelming emotion, mm. you know what I mean? And so I didn't. It's like, well, did, does that mean that it didn't work? But I had other things go. It had other things that it was. Well, doing. how would you define a favorite movie for you? I know I was talking about this earlier, just like on my own. Like I didn't know how to like really rank these eleven movies because I'm like, Ugh, what what defines like my favorite out of these? Like, what do I really like? And I don't I don't know. Maybe I just have to go with what I feel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously totally subjective because favorite means what it is to me, right? Yeah. It's not going to be the same as anybody else. It's not going to use anybody else's criteria. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, and then some of that is going to be nostalgia is going to play into it. Mm-hmm. Like where I was at that and time in my life. Maybe even, I don't know, like just watching something more recently also helps. Can't affect it. Sure. <sighs> anyway. But I think, I think for me, you know, I, I'm thinking about, this is somebody who's gone from being a curiosity when I first rushed Rushmore. I was like, what, what is this mm-hmm. to being now? Like this is probably one of my favorite working directors mm-hmm. and we're about to rank 11 movies. I like all of them. Right. There's not gonna be any, there's, there's nothing on this list. Number 11 is a movie that I like a lot. Yeah. So that makes it really difficult a to rank it. But then, so, you know, is it about emotion? I think to some extent it is, but I think for me, some, to some extent I'm also working on, like how much is this a how much of this is a or is a successful or maybe a definitive expression of the particular style and themes that make Wes Anderson's films what they are so there's something like what is the like what gets to the center of of this particular artistic expression. Oh, well, I didn't think about that deep. So that I think is part of what maybe is driving some of this. But I mean, some of it is just like, which one did I like? Okay. All right. So let's get into this, huh? All right. So you, you wanted to go through, um, and just briefly talk about them in chronological order to get a sense of what the uh, progression of it has been and then give our rankings. We can do that. That was what we talked about. I don't know if you wanted to. Oh, I can't, I can't remember. I'm saying that a lot on this episode. I can't remember. Um, I'm down for whatever. Okay, we we're not gonna we're not gonna go too deep on this. Yeah, let's not. We don't need to do we don't need to do whole like like, plot summaries, but just impressions. Uh, we'll talk briefly about each one of them, uh, and then we can rank them. Okay. So we'll start with. And we're only doing the features here. There was a short film before. Um before Bottle Rocket that I think might have been called the same thing, but um, only feature-length film. So we start with 1996 Bottle Rocket, written written by Wes and Owen Wilson, who also Mm -hmm. appears in the film with his brother, Luke. Um, And so this is the first one. We watched it somewhat recently, a couple years maybe ago. No, it was a few years ago. A few years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, what, what are your impressions? What? I liked it. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was silly. I, I mean, obviously my takeaway is the little banana. What the hell you wearing? Yeah. It's a jumpsuit. Clay, look at this guy. He looks like a rodeo clown. <laughs> he looks like a little banana. Where are you from anyway, man? I'm from around here. This guy used to mow our lawn. Right, we've really stuck. It's really stuck with us. <laughs> I don't know why that line just like... <laughs> There's a character that calls Owen Wilson and he says, he, you look like a little banana. <laughs> And we've just, we've latched onto that. It's become... It's like our daily speech, not daily speech, but anyway. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was kind of, kind of silly. I don't remember that much about it. If I don't remember. Honest. I just remember there's a, there's a girl in a hotel and yes. like he was into her and like there's that relationship thing. And, and then there was some kind of a heist plot. 
Was there? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I've forgotten. So this of all of them is probably the least stereotypical West film. Like there's some of his usual style, but it's not, yeah, but it it's not as completely realized. Yeah. But it is, it's fun. It's fun. Movie. It's fun. Yeah. I, I like the, that the Wilson brothers are his collaborators. Mm-hmm. I think they bring an energy that's um, maybe a little bit unlike what we would imagine Wes is kind of more buttoned up, you know, to be like mm-hmm. they bring kind of this looseness to. Yeah, his I, I do like that they've been in. Well, is is there only two that they've been like? Uh, wait, well, were they uh, uh, were they well, brothers? Uh, Wilson, in this? First, both the Wilsons are in Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, but they were brother. They were well, obviously they're brothers, but they were brothers, and no, they weren't. No, 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 never mind. He was the friend of the brother. Never yeah, mind. yeah, they're he's, they're friends in that. But I do mean, they play brothers in Bottle Rocket? I don't remember. Anyway, I was just... They don't usually play brothers, which is interesting, but... Yeah. Anyway. All right. So that's, that's, so that's the first one. Mm-hmm. Then we move on to... And, and this, this feels kind of like a way, uh, in a way where, um, where, the, where it truly begins at Rushmore in 1998. Mm-hmm. And this is stars Jason Schwartzman in his first film role as, as Max Fisher, a student at Rushmore Academy who has terrible grades, but is incredibly ambitious and has started a million extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. And he gets in, he falls in love with a school teacher, older school teacher played by Olivia Williams, and then gets in the love triangle with Bill Murray, um, kind of a, a sad sack uh, businessman. We watched that one recently. Mm-hmm. I I enjoyed it. I thought it was... I thought it was kind of touching and and just interesting and yeah, a little little off the wall with like the love triangle with I don't know, just like the young kid like thinking he has a chance with the teacher. But it's the second thing we've watched recently that has that dynamic in it. Dawson's <laughs> Creek. The first episode of Dawson's <laughs> Creek, which can't go into that. But. I can't believe we watched that. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. What do you think? So as I mentioned to you earlier that this was the first one I saw and I really didn't, it really, I really didn't get it at mm-hmm. first. Um, the recent rewatch was kind of a revelation to me mm-hmm. and it makes, but it, it's such a different experience having seen all of the rest of Anderson's movies and what he would go on to do in the next 15 years. Yeah. And it feels like such a bookend with Asteroid City. Now this is, now Rushmore is not his first movie and Asteroid City will hopefully not be his last. In fact, mm-hmm. I think he's already got something else in the works. I hope so. Yeah. But uh, first of all, both of them star, star Jason Schwartzman and both of them feel really personal in the sense of like uh, him kind of saying, here's what I do. Here's the art that I make, here's what moves me. Here's like me figuring out like, like, cause Max Fisher is figuring out his place in the world. Mm-hmm. He, he's a playwright and among other things. And this is like, he wants to figure out how to make his mark, uh, you know, uh, on the world. And then, you know, 15 years later or whatever, you've got asteroid city where this, this guy is putting on this play, but he is not sure if he's what he's supposed to be doing. Like, is, am I still, t- am I still telling the story? Does it make any sense? So there's, there's a kind of a through line, I think from Rushmore to, um, to asteroid city. And it, it seems like just such grounds, so much ground zero for all the things that make Wes's movies, what they are. So, uh, it, it was really, um, it was a lot different experience for me the second time. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and also the first time I thought, um, I thought Fisher was just the most annoying guy, like the swordsman, swordsman as Fisher. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I kind of mm-hmm. hated him. And, I was more on his side 
on the next watch, but I also was more aware of the way the movie was undercutting him and kind of just showing him to be, you know, naive and foolish. And yeah. Victims. In the beginning, he got on my nerves just a little bit, but then I thought it was kind of funny as it went on, just like how like gung ho he was about like everything. I don't know. He's yeah. just like doing it. Oh, this is also the introduction of, I think of Bill Murray, uh, who becomes a wed- a Anderson regular. Yes. And, it, and he kind of reinvents himself with this movie because up until this point, he's been the Groundhog Day guy mm. and Ghostbusters. You know, Ghostbusters and What About Bob and that kind of a, of a comedy star. And this is, kind of introduces us to sad Bill Murray, which is would be basically the la- the next, you know, decade or two of his career. Yeah, he's been in, he's been a lot of his... What's the secret, Max? The secret? Yeah, well, you seem to have it pretty figured out. Secret, I don't know. I think you just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. For me, it's going to Rushmore. Anyway, all right, so... So next we move on to Royal Tenenbaums. This is 2001. Wait, Bill Murray was... Was he the dad? No. I always do this. Who... What? He played the older husband of Margot Tenenbaum. That's right. Okay. Sad. <laughs> yeah. Sad Murray. Sad Murray, yeah. Sad Murray. I enjoyed this one. I liked I liked the whole uh, following of the siblings and where they ended up and um, the like love triangle interest thing with uh <sighs> Gwyneth Paltrow and um oh Gwyneth Paltrow and what um Luke Wilson Luke Wilson yeah yeah and Owen Wilson right yeah yeah, yeah. It, was, it was the Wilson brothers right and Bill Murray I'm just kidding it was a love well kind of it was a love rectangle no but um yeah that was that was interesting and just like the dad trying to win back the kid's affection or, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Right, because uh, Ben Stiller is in here as the other kid who hates <laughs> his father because he left him and yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's, there's some quirky fun things in there, which there's quirky fun things in most of his movies, but I just, I liked this one because it felt like more of like a storyline or just like, like following from like point A to point B. I don't know. It just, it felt there, there's a lot in it, like with the storylines, but it didn't feel as chaotic just because it was all about one family, maybe. Maybe. This introduces another common West thing, which is a, a, an ensemble cast, as opposed to being about one character. It's about many characters, mm-hmm. and they pretty much share the, the equally. Uh, Gene Hackman is in this, which is cool. I know mm-hmm. he's never been in another one again as, uh, as Royal. Um, Stiller in this, I think, gets... He gets the one, like, I think the most emotion out of the film at the very end when he's like, uh, I've, I've had a rough year, dad. Like, oh, finally yeah. that comes kind of spilling out mm-hmm. after all of this stuff that's being, you know, all this resentment that's being built up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Tenet Bombs, again, a lot of people would say this is best. I think there's there's a real kind of a rabid fandom around this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I didn't really get it when I first saw it. Um, the the rewatch was revealed some things to me. Mm-hmm. So I definitely appreciated this more the second time. Yeah. Man, talking about this now, I'm like, I think I need to redo my ranking a little bit. We'll have to see. I am pledging that <laughs> I I will not, I will not finalize this until we, until we say it. Okay. And, good. Then, and when I, and then when that happens, it's going to change tomorrow, probably. Ah, 
Okay, we'll make another podcast. I'm just kidding. This is getting too long. Okay. All right. Uh, next, we have The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou in 2004. This is the movie, of all of his movies, this is one I've seen the most times. Oh, really? Okay. I've owned it for a long time. And for mm-hmm. a reason, I just keep watching it with different people. Um, and this one stars, stars Bill Murray as a uh, adventurer and documentary filmmaker mm-hmm. who has a, you'll start to see a pattern here, a an estranged relationship with his son, mm-hmm. uh, Owen Wilson. There's a love triangle. There's... Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of the comedy. There's, uh, there's a new thing in here, which I think is the first time that he uses stop motion. There's a little bit of stop motion mm-hmm. uh, in this. Um, this is a weird one. And I think a lot of times, a lot of people maybe think it's a, a kind of a dark horse. Uh, what do you think of it? I remember when I watched it that I liked it because I thought it was kind of silly and like funny. With like, I liked, there's like fun music in it and like, <laughs> the outfits. I don't know. There's, there's like, there are funny parts in it. The I outfits remember. are so iconic. The, yeah. the, the, the hats and everything that they wear and like the, the speedos. And yeah. The, actually, I wouldn't mind watching this again just mm-hmm. to, cause I've forgotten a lot of the things, but, um, yeah, I like this one. Uh, this, of all of the movies, this probably has the biggest role for Jeff Goldblum. He's one of the antagonists. Oh yeah. See, I've, I forgot. I forgot about that. Keep Blanchett's in it. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, it's been so long. There's there's a bitterness to this one that I think can be an acquired taste. Mm. Uh, it's it's a little bit more just kind of caustic, I think, than something like a, a Rushmore, and that maybe rubs some people the wrong way. It's also one of his longest movies, so it can maybe drag a little bit. But I, I think it's an interesting one. This is one of the first, or maybe the second movie I watched with you. Really. I feel like I watched this one early on because you have it. I do have it, yeah. I so picked maybe up a that's what... Criterion DVD when it was like I think going out of sale, going out of business blockbuster sale or something. Yeah, so that that's why it's been so long. Anyway. All right, and then we moved on to 2007's The Darjeeling Limited, which we just watched. I think it was the last one we uh, picked up for this. Yeah, I really like this one. I liked it a lot. Story of three brothers who are traveling mm-hmm. by train through India to find themselves or something like that. Yeah, it was. There, there's emotional parts in it. There's like, I feel like it really hit, it checked a lot of boxes for me, like the siblings and like, like sad things that happened and like just enlightening things. And, um, it was funny. I don't know. It was interesting. Like the setting, them being on the train, Mm -hmm. um, and then like being in, are they, were they in India or? Mostly, like, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I just, I just remember liking it. It was kind of refreshing to me. Yeah, definitely glad I got a chance to re- uh, see this one again before we before we talked about it. Mm-hmm. Then we move on to Fantastic Mr. Fox, uh, which marks a big departure in from live action into stop motion. It's two thousand nine, and a totally. Um, Stop motion recreation adaptation of the Roald Dahl book. Exactly. You cuss him with me? I can't do it. What does he do? I, th- I think it's a whistle, but neither, ah, neither of us are great. We at can't that. whistle. We no. can't. Win. Anyway, um, <laughs> I love this one, obviously. Obviously. This is, I mean, this is the one I associate with you. Yeah, <laughs> just because of the fox. No, it's. Um, Ah, the foxes are so cute. And I just love the storyline 
with the three farmers and like how they set up each of the like intros to the farmers um, and like what they produce and all that stuff. I don't know, it was very cool. Walt Bogus is a chicken farmer, probably the most successful in the world. He weighs the same as a young rhinoceros. He eats three chickens every day for breakfast, lunch, supper, and dessert. That's 12 in total per diem. Nate Bunce is a duck and goose farmer. He's approximately the size of a pot-bellied dwarf, and his chin would be underwater in the shallow end of any swimming pool on the planet. His food is homemade donuts with smashed-up goose livers injected into them. Frank Bean is a turkey and apple farmer. He invented his own species of each. He lives on a liquid diet of strong alcoholic cider, which he makes from his apples. He's as skinny as a pencil, as smart as a whip, and possibly the scariest man currently living. The local human children sing a kind of eerie little rhyme about him. Here, listen to this. It's neat. It is. Never seen anything like it. No, I mean, they... There's been it's been much remarked about the way that they did the the hair. He used real animal fur for the characters, and one of the things that it does is it allows um, more so than I guess synthetic fibers. It, it allows you to kind of see the fingerprints uh, of the because you know every time you move it for every frame, you got to you know you have to sit in there and move it, and they take another picture, and then that's how stop motion is done. Wow. So uh, you see the you know the handprints on it and that's just so that's so the right aesthetic yeah. to be able to to just know that everything is being touched everything is being manipulated everything is you know there's a i think people have always com, uh commented on the the apparent artifice of these movies mm-hmm. that the way that the style is constructed draws your attention to the fact that somebody is making it and that uh fantastic mr fox is basically just a logical extension of that well, that's very fantastic. <laughs> Did not know that. And then we go to Moonrise Kingdom in 2012. This, for me, is where his filmography splits, uh, where I kind of divide it into New West versus Old West. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if that's that might be totally arbitrary, but it seems like there's like his style kind of evolves a little bit from this onward. Um, Moonrise Kingdom, the story of um, kind of two young misfits who find each other and fall in love. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is a, a scout uh, and the other is, a, I don't know, just kind of a pr- girl. Pr- precocious, uh, girl? Yeah, rebellious girl yeah. and their families and how this all affects them on this small island. What kind of bird are you? Yeah. I thought there's just like lines from each of these movies that I just associate and it's that one. What kind of bird are you? I'm a sparrow, she's a dog. No, I said, what kind of bird are you? I'm a raven. Boys aren't allowed in here. Tilda Swinton plays a woman whose name is Social Services. No, really? <laughs> I don't remember that. I, I just remember thinking this movie was very weird. I didn't get it, it was just like awkward. The kids were awkward. I mean, I liked it because it was one of his films, but um, yeah, I'd have to rewatch this one since this is the first one I've seen. This one, I think, was the first one where I where 
Wes Anderson finally clicked for me. Mm-hmm. I finally understood what the fuss was about. Uh, this one for me was very funny. I, liked, I thought a lot of the jokes worked and I thought it was touching mm-hmm. in its evocation of kind of, you know, this idea of childhood wonder. And, um, so I remember, I remember watching this one at the, at the now defunct galaxy cinema in Cary, which became a grocery store. Um, mm. I don't really know why I went because I think I was kind of down on Anderson at this point, but uh, this one you were was down on him. Well, I just, you know, like I said, I've watched some of these movies that I just weren't that didn't, to me weren't great. Okay. Like at the time, like Rushmore and, and Tenenbaums, I you know didn't really kind of see what the fuss was. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think Moonrise Kingdom was the one that helped me realize what was going on there. So I, I have a fondness for that one. Mm, nice. All right, Grand Budapest, 2014. For some reason, this is the one that brought him probably the most acclaim to date. It was an Oscar nominee. Um, and uh, this is, uh, well, Ralph, Ralph Fiennes gives a great performance in the, in the central role there. But this is another one of those where there's many different timelines and kind of many different characters or iterations of yeah, the Yeah, there's so much going on. Like, Chase scenes and... Yeah, but it was fun. Uh, I remember it. It was yeah. fun. And uh, what's her name was in it? The girl... Sir Sharonin? Yeah, 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 yeah. She did a good job. Um, yeah, I just... I liked it. I can't. The, the dollhouse be- effect becomes literal here mm-hmm. where you have this big created thing, the, which is the hotel, mm-hmm. and then all the different rooms and the things in the way that... I don't know. It's a kind of labyrinthine. And he's always changing the aspect ratio for different types, see the different stories. Like, they're in different shapes on the screen and... Um, you know, flashbacks, flash forwards, it's very um, complicated, mm-hmm. but, uh, there, there's a, there's a, I think there's a real obvious heart in this one th- in the midst of all that construction, which is the relationship between fines and the lobby boy, um, played here by, uh, Tony Revolori. Tony Ravioli. That's the guy's We're name. We're going to rename him. And then... Isle of Dogs, 2018. Oh, yes. Isle of Dogs. I loved Isle of Dogs. Return to the stop motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This time where the setting is Japan. Lots of, obviously, lots of actors and actresses well-known. Jeffy was a dog. Yep. Scarlett Johansson shows up here for the first time. Mm-hmm. Brian Cranston. Yeah, Goldblum's in it. Murray's in it. Tilda Swinton's in it. This was a good time, I thought. Yeah, it was, it was it was very different. I don't know. It was just like, yeah, and obviously dogs. It was cute. I mean, I'm a cat person, uh-huh. which is funny because it's like they made like cats to be bad, you know. I mean, people normally do that, but I liked it. Oh, me too. I had a really good time in the theater with this one. Yeah. My hey, did we watch this in the Rialto? We did. Yeah, that was good. That probably also made it. It helps to have a good viewing experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My feelings about this are relatively uncomplicated. It's just, it was a fun movie. Yeah, it was a good time. Mm-hmm. 2021, The French Dispatch, which is the first one of these that's truly a, an anthology. There are at least three or four different stories that kind of all are somewhat self-contained. Um, it was crazy times for me. Yeah. I, just, I just couldn't keep up. I mean, it was enjoyable, like the little stories. They were like, whatever. But I was just like, what in the world? This is why I say that Asteroid City, which of course is the last one, and you know, we're reaching a point of incredible density. Mm-hmm. And the French Dispatch is maybe the densest of all of them. Yeah, it is. 
an ode to Frenchness, an ode to writing. It's all about these different uh, these different journalists and the mm-hmm. things that they each section is something that they wrote about, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's very literate in that way, and it's so uh, rigid in the way that it applies his filmmaking. Like there's there's some incredible moments where they're literally panning the like the. Um, from scene to scene and each one is like a still image but it's moving mm-hmm, like it's all mm-hmm. everybody just like everybody's just frozen in place but like you can kind of see the, the ways that he's playing with stuff here is just really interesting um, and some familiar faces and some new ones what's um, his face Timothy Chalamet oh yeah Chalamet's in mm-hmm. it um, oh, with, with um, Francis McDormand yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay uh, but yeah, this is. I think this is the point where if you, if you're on the outs, this is not the one that's going to bring you into the fold. Yeah, don't. You have to be a hardcore devotee. Yeah, don't watch it. I mean, obviously watch it, but yeah. And I feel a little bit of the same way about Asteroid City. I think it's maybe it's it's a bit more accessible than French Dispatch is, but it's got that same kind of density. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the whole that's the whole list. That was it. We went through them. Wow. We went through them all. Okay. And we've, we've watched them all. So now we're going to give our rankings. From, uh, I guess, from worst to best, because, you know, it's more fun that way. You know, maybe I should just stick with what I've got. Maybe. Should I just go with it? Should I just say? I think you should. I'll just do it. Okay. So how are we going to do this? Me just go through my list or back and forth? I think it makes more sense if you go through yours, then we get a sense of progression. Okay. All right. At the bottom, number 11, we've got Bottle Rocket. You know, that's the first one. It just felt like there wasn't as much going on. So I was like, whatever. And then the French Dispatch. Chaos. Sensible. Like we've said, I liked all of these movies. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Um, Next is Asteroid City. Moonrise Kingdom. The Life Aquatic. Rushmore. Then at five, we have the Royal Tenenbaums. And then the Grand Budapest Hotel. Followed by Isle of Dogs. What's it going to be? <laughs> okay. I don't know. There's I, only one left. No, there's two left. Wait, wait. Okay, I, I've... Wait, wait. Did you lose me? I lost you. You Sorry. were giving me numbers. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. 11, Bottle Rocket. 10, The French Dispatch. 9, Asteroid City. 8, Moonrise Kingdom. 7, The Life Aquatic. 6, Rushmore. 5, The Royal Ten Bombs. 4, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Three, I love dogs, and two. Okay, these two, I I didn't know how to do it. Anyway, I put Fantastic Mr. Fox, and one is Darjeeling Limited. Wow. Okay. I know. I know. I didn't expect that. I didn't either. I don't know, and I don't know if I made the right decision or not. But well, you can always reverse it at your personal list. But <laughs> for this, for the purposes of this podcast, it's down in ink. I don't, and I don't know if it's because I saw Darjeeling most recently. Mm-hmm. But I think I just really liked all of the the feels in it. I just yeah. like I just really liked that. I mean recency bias is a thing, but I'm glad you enjoyed it so much. I did. I really did. There's there's some good times, but obviously the foxes. And I still wanna be a Fantastic Mr. Fox family for Halloween sometime. It would be a great one. I don't know how we pull it off, but it would be good. Oh, we could pull it off. We're going to do it one day. <laughs> uh, Eleanor would be, would she be the awkward kid? Yeah, probably. She'd have to be our child, the boy. 
That makes sense. Even though she's a girl. What's the what's the little fox's name? <sighs> Can't remember. You would know better than me, probably. Oh, and then <laughs> we can make and then Addie could be the cool cousin. <laughs> what? Uh, wait, what's his name? Is I'm it Ash? Ash. Ash is the son. And then what's the cousin's name? He's like the. S- mm. Anyway. Okay, I didn't. I didn't know if. Um, I didn't know if. Fox was pregnable at the top there, but uh, yeah, I, I don't. I, I, I didn't. I didn't, wanna, I didn't want to assume your number one, but I thought it might have been that. I mean, I really didn't want to make it number one just because, like, because it would be predictable. Yeah, but I mean, I do really enjoy it. It's fun. I love um, Clooney. Clooney, like, he's just got a great voice for that fox, and I like all the little, little mouth noises, <laughs> <laughs> even though I can't whistle. But anyway, and the, oh yeah, the little arm, Daniel the, just raised his arm up. What was that? The wolf or something? Uh, yeah, you, it was almost like a breakfast club, but not. No, but in the story, what is it? What is the animal that they're like kind of oh. afraid of or inspired by? Oh yeah, the wolf. Oh, that's right. The wolf. Yeah. The black wolf, right? Yeah. Oh, it's so cute. It's such a cute movie. It's just so cute. There's some great stuff here, especially some um, like chase sequences and stuff where they um, they move along kind of like a oh underground um, oh sorry uh, like a a horizontal plane mm-hmm. and everything's kind of going up and down as it moves past. There, I mean, it's really clever. Some it's stuff. It's so good. We yeah. gotta rewatch this one anyway. And one of the few that's appropriate for children. It is a children's book and it and say uh, it's one of the only ones that's I think PG thirteen. Yeah. RPG. Ele- might, you know, RPG. Eleanor would love this one because she loves foxes like her mother. Was this on your list when we did the movies to show my daughter? I don't know. I'll have to go back and listen. Probably. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let me do my rankings. Okay. So, uh, as I mentioned before, I like all of these movies. Uh, even the one at number 11 is better than a lot of films. I'll probably give it at least, you know, a three, 3.5 out of, uh, you know, out of five. Uh, so this was, it was very difficult to make and the, uh, the, the rewatches made things more complicated mm-hmm. because it, I, I'm much higher on Rushmore and Tenenbaums than I was. And, uh, so this, there, there's a couple of, there was a couple of really hard choices of one or the other here. Mm-hmm. And so where I kind of just left it, I used my flick chart to help me determine. Ah. The place. All right. So here, so here we go. Okay. So my number 11 is the Darjeeling limited. Wow. We just flipped it. Dang. I've, yeah, I, I, I still feel like this is probably the least interesting one for me. Um, I don't, maybe don't like the setting as much. I didn't laugh as much. Mm. Um, there's some whiplash uh, tonally, I think in it more than, but still, still a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, some good performances. My number 10 is bottle rocket. Again, really like that movie. I think it's funny. It's a good intro, kind of like pre-West before West, but it just doesn't have the finesse that a lot of the other ones have. Mm-hmm. My number nine, Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> Again, I want to remind you, I like all these movies. There's something about this one that no, doesn't, doesn't thrill me as much as a lot of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe... Because it's, it's a kid's movie. It, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just not quite as... Maybe there's something with It's that. not moving. It's just about little animals. Yeah, there's a, and maybe it's just not as funny to me as some of the other ones as mm-hmm. well. And I, all of these movies, I think, are comedies. Even the ones that are tragic um, are, are very least dark comedies. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's what I respond to more so than the pathos. Mm-hmm. Uh, number, where am I, 11, 
nine. Number eight, Royal Tenenbaums, which is crazy that it's down at eight because after watching it again, I was like, this is actually a really great movie. Mm-hmm. And it is in many ways, uh, I think some of the, some of the singular performances in his, uh, you know, in his work, uh, Hackman there, especially in Stiller, um, uh, is, it's, it's really well detailed, but, uh, I like, I, I don't, I don't have the same attachment to it as some of the other ones. Uh, so what was that? Eight, seven, seven Isle of Dogs. Um, yeah, the, um, the, the stop motion ones maybe aren't my favorite mode that he works in, mm-hmm. but I found this one on the whole worked for me more than Fantastic Mr. Fox did. Mm-hmm. Number seven. No, number six. Number six, <gasps> Asteroid City. Oh, okay. Uh, and like I'm saying, I and this was one of the ones that was really hard to, I was either going to be this or I'm going to switch it with the one above it. Number five, The French Dispatch. Number four, The Life Aquatic. Number three, oh, and this was really hard, three in versus two. And I, I made this emotionally recently, but okay, number three, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. Number two, Shooting Up from the Bottom is now Rushmore. Wow. And my number one, Moonrise Kingdom. Wow. Okay. Shoot. I didn't know that's your favorite. Yeah. I mean, I've uh I've been calling it one of the ten best movies of the twenty tens, uh, that really made an impression on me. Hmm. We'll have to rewatch that in the Fox. Uh, yeah, so like I said, I could go, you know, the next if you ask me this tomorrow, I'll have Grand Budapest back at number two or um, something else like that, but um, what a what a body of work and what a fun project it was to watch and rank these. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot. I mean, honestly, we just caught up really quick at the end. And it was a good time. Yeah, it was. I kind of enjoyed that. Just like, okay, we're gonna finish this off. Here we go. Yeah, I think because you didn't realize that I only had like what one more that I hadn't seen. Yeah, that's why I was originally going to just do top five because I didn't think we would have the deep bench to do all uh, all eleven. But then when I realized, because Star Dealing was the last one, right? Yeah, it was. And then it became my first one. I wonder if that really is my favorite, or if it's just because it was the last one we watched. I don't know. Well, wait ten years, watch it again, and then t- okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> or wait a year, watch it again, to see if you still like it as okay, much. Okay, yeah. yeah, it's always a good yeah. idea. All right, hey, we did it. <gasps> We did it. And I was our baby still asleep. Maybe. I didn't hear. Did you hear anything? Um, oh, a couple, a couple of final thoughts. If you had a friend that had never seen any of these movies and they wanted to know where to start, what would you tell them? Well, actually, Moonrise Kingdom is a good one. I mean, that's where I started mm-hmm. and it kept me going. Um, because, like, I, I don't know if I would necessarily... Well... That, or like, maybe even like the Royal Tenenbaums. That was a good one. Um, But like, I I don't know if I would necessarily say like Fantastic Mr. Fox, unless I knew if that person enjoyed that sort of thing, then I would say that could be that, or like Isle of Dogs could be a good one. But I think I'd just have to know like what they were into, you know? Yeah, oh, sure. So if they were like, not as like deep of a thinker then maybe I would say one of those stop motion ones. Um, and then if so, then maybe like moonrise, what do you think? What would you No, I think those are both uh, good choices. I think depending on, yeah, depending on their 
tastes. Uh, Tenenbaums could be a little bit, could be a lot, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, it just depends on what they like. But uh, I think I think Moonrise Kingdom could be a great entry point. I mean, maybe even Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Grand Budapest Hotel is a little bit, a little much? Like it's kind of fast paced. Well, I mean, it's it's a. I think a lot of people probably did start there, and it's one of his well well regarded ones. I think there's enough. Um, I think one of the, the one of the things people struggle with the most is the like the reserved acting, and so if you've got somebody at the center like Ralph Fiennes who's giving that kind of oh, charismatic performance, that might be enough for them to hang on. Okay. Hmm. All right. If any of these, if you could take any one of the lead characters in these movies and replace them with Jeff Goldblum, would you do it? And which one would you do? Dang, that that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, but he's in a lot of these. Well, I know. So but it's think, hard but to... But we're just complaining about him not being in it enough. Do you think that he could be in um, the Grand Budapest Hotel as the main guy? I don't Potentially. Know. I don't know if he could... He is in that, but yeah, he could be the... Uh, I don't know, though. It's, it's weird. Like, he's just got a certain way about him. I don't know if I would put him in any of these. Yeah, it's actually kind of weird that he works with him in the first place because you don't necessarily think of his... His kind work. of sputtering style as yeah. being compatible. I know it's weird because I love I love Jeffy, but and I love Wes Anderson films, but I don't know because I don't think I would put him in the Dart Dealing Limited because it just seems like they're all kind of uh like they're going through some things and it just it needed some like not like deep not like he can't be deep, but it just it just didn't it just doesn't seem like the right fit. He could maybe play the Brody role in that. Yeah, I could see that. Actually, you're right. That was a good one. But I, I, I love Adrian Brody in that. I really do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I think that uh, that pretty much wraps it up. I was going to do a, uh, a nightstand, but it's been kind of a long episode, so yeah, maybe we'll, we'll just we'll, we'll just wrap it up. Here. Uh, thank you all. Let's turn for... off the lights and get to sleep. <laughs> yeah. That's our nightstand. That's our nightstand. <laughs> well, thanks everybody for listening. And I know it's been a while since we had an episode, but sometimes you just have to do an episode where you have to watch 11 movies for it. So <laughs> yeah, it's true. It takes a little while. Okay. I was excited about the idea of doing one where I didn't have to go through and get clips from a whole bunch of different movies, but here we are. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, that's right. Good luck. Have fun. All right, Amanda, thanks for being my partner through all of this. And... Uh, I guess next we'll just have to do, you know, uh, the golden bachelor, <laughs> the golden bachelor. <laughs> well, you know, I said at the top, uh, you know, might've noticed I changed the intro to say film and entertainment and not just movie, uh-huh. just in case I want to leave the door open for us to do. All right. Everyone who's listening to this, all three of you, just kidding. Whoever made it to the end, I would like, I would like some, uh, responses and uh, some feedback to know if anybody wants Daniel to watch The Golden Bachelor and for us to do a podcast on it. Talking to you, Tara. (laughs) Just kidding. No, but for real, I would like to know if this is something people would want. And would you watch it? And what is, you know, what is the Venn diagram of people who listen to this show and people who deeply despise me? Uh, Because those people are going to say yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, they just want you to um, expand your... Expand my bent for cultural criticism into the world of The Bachelor. There you go. Just because it'd be funny. We wouldn't have to watch the whole thing. Maybe just the first episode. 
Well, we'll see. Yeah. So uh, let us know about that. And uh, <laughs> you yeah, can contact finish. us at take it away podcast at scenesfromamarriage.com. Also at scenes from a marriage on Instagram. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, everyone. And we're going to go to sleep now. Good night. Good night. <laughs>